Well, good morning. morning. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you came. I'm glad I came. I tell you what, we may never leave this unexpected. Like, it might just be forever. Because if something goes wrong, we can just say, oh, well, that was unexpected. And that's kind of the point of this whole series. As we learn to lean into the unlikely, as we learn to lean into the unexpected moments of life, and I see some of you have actually moved to a different part of the sanctuary. And, and maybe the people around you are like, what are they doing over here? They don't sit over there. It's okay. We can lean into that. So far we've talked about Jesus. We started things off with Jesus in the new covenant. And what a paradigm shift that was from the old covenant and the old way of celebrating the Passover. Then we went way back into the Old Testament for the, the call of Moses. And that key question that God asks Moses, what is in your hand? And all that that represents. Then last week we were back into the New Testament and we looked at what might be the worst surprise ever. That there are many people, people you know, maybe even people in this room or watching this online, that fully expect to go to heaven when they die. And they will receive the worst surprise ever. So last week was a little heavier. And I'm sorry for that. But it's true. And we need to make sure that we are in right standing with God through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. Today we're going back to the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a message titled Healing Through Humility. It's an Old Testament story of someone who came to be healed, fully expecting things to go a certain way, and they went just the opposite. So we're going to talk about healing through humility. The Old Testament story that we're looking at is the story of Naaman. Maybe you've heard of Naaman, or maybe you're familiar with this story. If you want to start turning in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5, that's on page 576 for the Pew Bibles. We'll also have it on the screen, as we normally do. But this is one of the unique, um, I shouldn't say unique, but it's one of the relatively few Old Testament stories that Jesus referenced specifically. In Luke chapter 4, verse 27, he makes the point, as he's talking about how the good news in the coming kingdom is for all people, he says, you know, there were all kinds of people with leprosy when Elisha was the prophet of God, but it was Naaman that God sent to be healed. And so he references this story in particular, and there's a broader point here that we may not emphasize because I don't feel like we need to as much, but there's a broader point here that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is not just for us who have come to this place. The gospel is for those who are far from God and who getting up on a Sunday morning and going to a church is the last thing on their mind. We have to remember that the gospel is for them too. And so I've got a map because some of the geography is going to be significant. And on the screen you can see a map that shows the relationship of the areas that we'll be talking about. In the middle there, in the green, that's Israel. That's the northern kingdom, nation of Israel. Beneath that is Judah. And you can kind of see the the Dead Sea there. Um, North of Israel is the nation of Syria. Now, the nation of Syria was also referred to at this time as the kingdom of Aram, A-R-A-M. But they're talking about the same place. And so this is a bordering nation just to the north of the northern kingdom of Israel. If you zoom in a little bit, you'll see Damascus is in a red circle up at the top there. Damascus is the capital of Syria or the capital of Aram. And as we're going to find out, Naaman is a high-ranking military official in the kingdom of Syria. So he was most likely living in Damascus unless he was out on some military mission. 
The other circle that you see there is the city of Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel during this time. This is where Elisha was. So this is helping kind of just create a little bit of a frame of reference for the geography that we'll look into. Let's get into our story here from 2 Kings chapter 5. We read, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, or Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a big deal at this time. It was a highly contagious skin disease. People could see it, and it could be transferred, and so you had to keep your distance from everybody. It was, it was just a big deal. Uh, it wasn't like he had a wart or a pimple. <laughs> this was a big deal, okay? Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And I just, this stands out to me, because this is a, a servant or a slave girl that was captured in a military conquest, and she has the boldness to tell the woman she serves, if only he would go, he could be healed. And I think there's a side point here that I just don't want to move past without calling it out. Never underestimate the power of your witness. Never underestimate. Here she could have turned her back on the God of Israel. I mean, she's been kidnapped. She's been forced into slavery. And yet she has the boldness and the compassion for her captor to say, there's healing available from the God in Israel. You should go there. Give it a shot. So, don't underestimate the power of your witness. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) Now it's interesting, the things that Naaman brings along, you may not necessarily deal with shekels and talents on a regular basis, so you might have a footnote that explains in your Bible, or you maybe have a study Bible, that this is 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. So there's an entourage, right? There's servants, there's a train going through with a lot of value, which means there's probably soldiers to guard all of this. And I confessed before I'm a recovering nerd, so I had to look up, what is that in today's value? And right now, gold is at $1,840 an ounce, not a pound, an ounce. So this works out to $4.4 million in gold. And silver is only at $24 an ounce, and it was probably worth more back then comparatively than it is today. But that $24 an ounce of silver works out to about $288,000 today. So Naaman heads out from Damascus to Samaria with just under $5 million of booty. And it strikes me that he may have had in mind that, that he would be asked to give something in exchange for this healing, but I doubt he would be asked 
to give $5 million for this divine healing. So I think there's something more here. This is a display of wealth and power. This is a display of, look at me, look at what a big deal I am. Look at all I have. I can bring this 750 pounds of silver, this 150 pounds of gold, these 10, which were probably very lavish sets of clothing, as a display of my wealth and my power to put whoever it was in his debt. Now, in verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? He really thinks that this is just trying to pick a fight. And he's a little afraid. And it strikes me that this is a completely faithless response. It never crossed his mind that the God of the universe might be able to cure This pagan's leprosy. It never occurs to him that he could call Elisha and say, Hey, I got a situation here. They might be trying to pick a fight, but maybe it really is innocent. And they just think that that the God that we serve could heal this person as well. That doesn't cross his mind. In fact, a slave girl had more faith than the king of Israel in this story. In verse 8, we continue... When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. I don't know if he said it like that. That's how I read it. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, that may not stand out to you as being particularly offensive, but in an honor-shame culture where hospitality was held in the highest regard, for a man of standing to come and to just get a message through a servant was not the normal hospitality code. Normally, you would welcome him in, you would prepare a fine meal, you would go through some formalities. You know, Naaman has certainly come with all the pomp and circumstance, and uh, he was expecting immediate and personal attention. And what's more, the message that he gets to go and to wash himself seven times in the Jordan, the Jordan's another 15, 20 miles away. It's not like the Jordan borders Samaria. He's going to have to go a day's journey to get to the Jordan in order to be cleansed. And then what's he going to do? And what happens if it doesn't work? And so we read his reaction in verse 11. Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. So here he is, and he's just been told how to be healed. He's just been told what needs to happen to be healed, but his pride gets in the way. And we see that not only his personal pride, that he didn't come out to me, he should have. I was expecting him to come out and do a little Jedi mind trick, you know, and call down, you know, heaven's power to heal me. That didn't happen. But what's even worse than the fact that he didn't come out and he didn't do the little Jedi trick is that he's telling me to go wash in one of the filthy rivers of Israel when I could have washed in the clean, pristine rivers of Damascus. Damascus. 
So he's got nationalism going on here. He's got personal pride. He's been offended. And there's a lesson for us here because there's a progression that we see. We see an expectation that Naaman had. That he would come to me, do the Jedi thing, and I would be healed. So there's an expectation. The expectation didn't come to pass. And so now he moves quickly through frustration to anger to rage. And if we're not careful, the same thing happens for us. We have an expectation. We expect somebody we're in relationship with to respond a certain way or to treat us a certain way. We expect when we go to a restaurant to get a certain level of service. We expect for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I can expect when I'm running five minutes late to get across town on 57th Street without a single red light. And you know what happens. You hit every single red light. No, God, the prayer was not a single, not every single, right? And so the first time, you're frustrated. It's okay. I can still make it. If I go five over, I'm not talking to you, Siri. And then you get another red light. And then you get another red light. And this is a parable for the other things that we expect in life, whether they're realistic expectations or not, that once we get frustrated, and that's what frustration is, it's an unmet expectation. We can go very quickly from frustration to anger. And if we're not careful, to rage, to absolute rage. And so I wonder, is there a parable in your own life? Is there a parable in a relationship? Is there a parable in your relationship with God where you have asked for something and you have expected it to happen and it hasn't? Or it hasn't happened yet or it hasn't happened the way that you were expecting And the enemy knows that this is fertile soil for frustration and for anger and even for rage. And I've been here. I've done this. I've been livid with God because I've asked for something and it didn't seem like an unrealistic request. And I was expecting things to go a certain way and they didn't. And now I'm shaking my fist at him and quoting my resume. These are all the reasons that you should give me what I've asked for and then that's not happening. And so I find myself in Naaman's story. Maybe you do too. And so here's what happens. As he goes off in a rage, and this is remarkable in verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you just wash and be cleansed? So he went and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. See, the antidote to Naaman's pride was humility. The cure for Naaman's pride was humility, to humble himself. And it's remarkable that his servants would speak up. I mean, he's the commander. He's the military genius. He's in a rage. And yet they have the boldness. And so you see secondary characters playing a big part in this story. The servant girl, his attendants. And they understand that his pride is what has gotten in the way. Because they say, if he'd asked you to do something great, you'd be on the mission right now. But because what was prescribed was humility, you want nothing to do with it. And that leads to our bottom line today that sometimes the hardest and the most heroic thing we can do is to humble ourselves. 
Sometimes the hardest and the most heroic thing we can do for that broken relationship, for that situation, for that set of circumstances is to humble ourselves. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to finish the story and then we're going to come back to that idea. But he's healed, he's cleansed, his flesh is restored. In verse 15, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God in Samaria. And he stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. See, it was important to Elisha that only God get the glory. Not only for the physical healing, but also for the spiritual transformation that has taken place in Naaman's life. Don't miss this. He's not just healed of his leprosy. He's spiritually transformed. He goes from being a high-ranking military official in a pagan nation where they served many gods, maybe a primary god. But he doesn't just say, now I know there's a god in Israel. He says, now I know there is no god except in Israel. He has gone from being a polytheist, a pagan, to a monotheist, and he has identified that God, Yahweh, is the one true God, and that there is no other God. And this is powerful. And the fact that, that Elisha will not accept payment or will not accept an offering means he's wanting God to get all the glory. He's wanting to make sure that only God gets the glory for what has taken place physically, spiritually, emotionally, and otherwise. And so then Naaman says in verse 17, If you will not accept this gift, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. He basically wants to take some of Israel back so that he will have enough space to pray and to kneel and to offer burnt offerings on Israel's ground, on on not this pagan ground that he's going back to. And he goes a step further than that. He says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, when I bow in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. He's already thinking ahead of a situation that might come across as bowing to another God. And he's saying, I can see this coming and please pray on my behalf because I don't want God to get the wrong impression. And Elisha says, go in peace. Go in peace. Three simple words that actually were probably translated from a single word in the Hebrew language. He just says, shalom. Shalom was a way of greeting and it was a way of sending blessing with someone as they go. He's saying, go in peace. Not just peace in the sense of the absence of conflict, but shalom has to do with wholeness and completeness and blessing in every area of life. Go with the peace of God resting upon you. Go whole. Go complete. And so he sends him away with blessing. And as I mentioned in the story, the bottom line is that sometimes the hardest The most heroic thing we can do is to humble ourselves. And it's obvious from this story that Naaman thought he could buy or he could earn or he could somehow otherwise merit his salvation, merit his healing. He thought he could do something to obtain it. And I think too often we want to be the ones to do something 
in our healings. We want to be the ones to do something in this situation. And God is allow, asking us to allow him to move. And allow him to work in us and through us and work through our circumstances. Because too often we want to be the ones to do something instead of putting our faith in what has already been done. Through the cross. Through Jesus. And we see this in the story that Naaman thought his biggest problem was his leprosy. But it was actually his pride. He went looking for a physical healing for his physical problem. And God was not content to just deal with that. He's going to deal with all of it. He's going to deal with the pride too. And the way that his healing came was through his humility. And so even though he thought his biggest problem was his pride and it turned out it was actually his leprosy, I'm sorry, he thought it was his leprosy, it turned out it was his pride, God, in his graciousness, healed both. God knew that if he had paid his $5 million and gone back, physically healed, he'd still be spiritually dead. And so God heals him of both. And sometimes we need to recognize that we, like Naaman, have become our own biggest problem. That our pride, our unwillingness to forgive, our anger and our hatred have become our biggest problem. And we think it's the object of our anger. We think it's the object, the person who consistently doesn't rise up to the expectations, who consistently disappoints, that that's our biggest problem. And the reality is, no, it's our frustration that has led to anger, that has led to rage. And sometimes we need to recognize that, that we are holding ourselves back, that our lack of forgiveness has become our biggest problem, not the offense that we're having trouble forgiving. Now, a little disclaimer here. If you've been the victim of abuse, sometimes abusers try to convince their victims that the victim is at fault or to blame for. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making decisions and having to deal with the consequences of those decisions or for bad things happening, things that we didn't expect, unexpected events of life happening to us and we do not lean into what God might be trying to show us through that. We refuse to. We don't offer forgiveness. We don't humble ourselves. And my mind went back to my lowest point. When I externalized all my problems, and I put myself in a victim role, and yes, I had been lied to, and yes, some things had happened, and it certainly wasn't the way that I was expecting things to go, but I put all the blame on everyone else. I didn't take any of it for myself. And I was mad at God and pretty much everyone else. But I was really good at hiding it, except for those closest to me. So who got the worst of it? The people I loved the most. And I had to realize that I was actually the common denominator in all my problems. I was the common denominator in all those broken relationships because I would not humble myself and put it at the feet of God. I kept trying to do it myself instead of allow God to do it. And for Naaman, before Naaman could receive God's grace, he had to submit to God's will. And the same is true for every single one of us. Before we can fully receive God's grace, we have to submit to his will. That might mean forgiveness. That might mean laying down the anger instead of relishing it. That might mean humbling ourselves and offering an apology when we've been so reluctant to do it for so long. 
There's all kinds of ways that this might play out depending on what it is that we need healing for, but often we need to submit to God's will, to humble ourselves and trust in him. I also find it significant that Naaman returns. I mentioned this as we went through the story. But the fact that Naaman returns to Elisha, that wasn't part of the deal. He didn't have to do that. He was already 15 to 20 miles away. So now he's going to take a day's journey back and be farther away from Damascus than he was. But he goes back, and he's not there to buy it. He's there to give a gift, to give an offering. There's a difference that has come to him. And we see through that interaction that Naaman is going to return to his nation, to Damascus, to his king, to his family, to his circles, as an ambassador for Yahweh, as an ambassador for God, and a believer in the one true God. All because of a servant girl who had the boldness to say, if only he'll go, he's going to be healed. And he's going to come back to that household spiritually and physically transformed because of what she said. And so I wonder, as we kind of turn the corner and try to make application of all of this, is there an area in your life, maybe it's already come to mind, where your healing might actually require humility? Is there an area in your life where the hardest and the most heroic thing you can do is to humble yourself. I think sometimes people take offense at Christianity because salvation isn't attained, it isn't earned with some act of spiritual or religious heroism. That we don't do more, try harder. That we have to accept, we have to humble ourselves and accept what has been done for us in order to be healed. And many take offense at that. But it simply can't be earned, it can't be purchased, it can only be received. And so this has all kinds of potential ramifications. If there are people that are listening to this message, whether it's in this room or online or at some point in the future, that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this might be the issue. I don't need some dead guy from 2,000 years ago to make me right with God. I'll work harder and I'll make it on my own. Well, let me tell you something. He's not dead. He's alive. And he is moving in power, and he is accomplishing his will in this world. And it is good, and it is perfect. And so maybe we just need, somebody needs to hear this, that you need to humble yourself and accept what Jesus Christ has done for you and stop trying to do it on your own. Maybe it's baptism. And you've heard me talk about baptism and you've kind of just backed away from that. I don't, want to, I don't want people to see me wet. I don't want people to wonder why I didn't do it sooner. I don't want people to say, well, I already did. Why didn't, I've already done that. Why haven't they already done that? I was sure they, none of that matters. None of it matters. The, the apostles said, repent and be baptized because they knew there was significance in baptism. Not that it's salvific. It doesn't make you saved. It doesn't accomplish salvation, but it's evidence of salvation. And there are people here that have never been baptized as adults since they've made a decision for Jesus Christ. And maybe it's pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe there's some humility that needs to come to say it doesn't matter. All those things that have held me back, they don't matter. 
Making a public profession of my faith and declaring who my Savior is matters, and I'm going to do that. And if that's you, put it on your connection card. Talk to me afterwards. Send me an email. Mark, M-A-R-C, at linwoodchurch.org. Maybe it's forgiveness. I kept coming up this week as I was praying about this message. Maybe there's somebody who needs to forgive somebody. And it's pride that's keeping that from happening. Maybe there's somebody that you need to ask for forgiveness from. And pride is the only reason that you haven't. And the hardest, most heroic thing you could do is to humble yourself. And see your relationship restored. And see your friendship rebuilt. You see, pride holds us back so often. In a moment like this, pride holds us back. Pride keeps us in our seat when we have an opportunity to go forward like you're going to have in just a moment. To come forward, to be anointed. This is a biblical basis to come forward and to receive prayer. James, at the end of his letter, after he gets through a lot of practicalities and really good practical advice about living our faith, not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word, he says in James chapter 4 that God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil is the source of pride. It started with him. The devil is the source of pride and the source of fear. But God, God is the source of humility. God is the source of healing. God is the source of freedom. And he wants you to have it. But the devil does not want you to have it. And so we come near to God and he will come near to us. In chapter 5, James writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It hit me that Jesus promised Peter that he was interceding for him. And then we're told that he's the great interceder. He's interceding for us right now. He's the righteous man whose fervent prayer will accomplish much in our lives. And scripture is clear that powerful things happen when we humble ourselves. When we come before a brother or a sister and ask for prayer. And so there's different criteria here. Are you sick? Are you in trouble? Do you have a praise to share? Are you here to intercede for someone else? These are all reasons to come forward. These are all reasons to humble yourself and come down. Do you have something to confess? There is freedom on the other side of confession. Jesus Christ can do more through a humble confession than we can possibly imagine. There is freedom on the other side of confession. And there is power in the blood of Jesus. So you have an opportunity right now to respond in faith. You can come to an altar, maybe right in front of the cross, and just deal privately with Jesus. 
You can come over to this side. Pastor Zach will be down here. We have anointing oil. We'll anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we'll pray for whatever you share with us to pray. I'll be over in this corner. Pastor Ryan is back by those doors. If you don't want to come down front. Pastor Sandy is over by those doors. This is a time for you to be healed. Don't miss it. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit in this place. You are so faithful to meet us here. And we are so grateful that you do. Holy Spirit, we believe you are here among us, that you are moving in this place, that you want to fill us up, that you want to bring healing. I pray against the enemy that wants to keep us where we are. And I pray that you'd have no power in this place, that nothing anyone back from what you have for them today. In Jesus' name we pray.